0: It's always been a goal for us to have an artistic career for a long period of time. And in order to do that, you have to have a really healthy balance between all of the work that goes on behind the scenes of performing.
1: Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 156 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. I just want to take a moment and do a shout-out for Michael Lowenstern, who always has provided the music the past couple years for the uh, podcast here. Sometimes I listen to that intro and I'm just like, wow, that's so awesome. So, quick thank you to Michael Lowenstern for making that possible, and he has been featured on the show twice, and you should check out his website at earspasm.com. Today's special guest on the program is Carrie Landry of the Acropolis Reed Quintet. We discuss why the Reed Quintet is A Composer's Playground, Why Carrie and the other members of the Acropolis consider themselves musicians and entrepreneurs, and their new album project, which comes out today called Ghost Light. This uh, actually has a live stream this afternoon, so if you're listening to this episode of the podcast on Friday, April 9th, April 9th, rather, the day it comes out. Um, you'll be pleased to know you can check out their CD release concert at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, but also, of course, you can stream this album on Spotify or iTunes or Apple Music, it's called now, I guess, or wherever you get your music. Patreon supporters of the program get access to an extended show today where we discuss Carrie's hobbies and interests, including why she's trying to buy all of her food within a 100 mile radius of her home. Uh, interests outside the clarinet book recommendations, and more. You can become a Patreon supporter yourself at clarinet.com slash subscribe for as little as $1 per month. Of course, a huge shout-out to our season's sponsors. We have Leger Reads. Imagine a reed that lets you focus on your music and lasts for months instead of days and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Leger Reads, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. The European cut reed is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Giuffredi, and many others. In fact, this is the reed that I use. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation and is now available for E flat, B flat, and bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L E G E R E.com. You can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new store that allows you to pay in Canadian dollars. And for all Clarinet listeners out there all over the world, you can get access to an exclusive coupon just for having listened to the show. You can get 10% off your next purchase with code CLARINET at checkout. This includes vocalese mouthpieces, barrels, bells, clarinets, legere reeds, which are now in stock as well. Everything on the online store is 10% off with code CLARINET at checkout. That's code CLARINET at BakunMusical.com. I'm here today with Carrie Landry. She's coming to us from Northville, Michigan. Carrie, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
1: So I'm so excited to talk to you today because um, I've been meaning to speak to you for a while, first of all, but also I just would love to talk about this fantastic Acropolis wind quintet that you've got going on. You know, it's just one of those things where so many people I know say that they're in some kind of small chamber ensemble, but I think that yours is absolutely the most, I wanna use the le- word legit, <laughs> I've ever seen. You guys have over 200 sponsors and like multiple CD projects, over 30 uh, commissioned works. Like, this is definitely a serious production. So, today on the show, I wanna really dive into what it's like playing with that group, recording with them, educational outreach, everything to do with that and uh, also of course your new cd project which we'll get to a little later in the program but first of all i want to dive into a little bit of what makes you kind of tick as a musician and uh how you got into the clarinet
0: oh yeah um i uh got into the clarinet when i was pretty young a sixth grade band um my parents were actually both musicians so my dad played French horn actually um, in in a lot of Motown recordings in Detroit. Um, He's on some Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder records and things like that. And my mom was actually a bassoonist. So (laughs) there was a lot of music in our household when I was growing up. And I chose the clarinet Because honestly, as like a little rebellious, uh, middle school aged girl, it was the only instrument that they both didn't know how to play. So I picked it and I knew I had to play an instrument and and have music in my life. And I think also kind of subconsciously, I had to pick it because I had a clarinet lamp actually on my bedside table growing up as well so they were sending me some like signals about my future and my life and so I picked the instrument when I was 10 or 11 years old um, in sixth grade and started from there absolutely fell in love with it it had just the most beautiful sound and color I'd I'd ever heard and yeah it just kind of hit me and stuck with me and I you know gave it my all and and that was it pretty much (laughs)
1: So I love the fact that uh, your parents are both musical. It's odd because I find that that's relatively, well, maybe it's not relatively rare, but it seems to be relatively rare of people that I know and myself included. My, my parents both can't play anything. There's a funny story also involving a horn player where my dad came to a concert when I was in university and there was an offstage horn part. My best friend played horn. And uh, so he played his part, walked on stage, and my dad saw this and turns to my mom and said, "Can you believe that John would just show up late to the concert like that?" And so that that kind of says their level of uh, you know musical involvement, right? <laughs> but my experience was not like yours in that in that regard. But so all the way up now to your Acropolis Wind Quintet. Now the one ironic thing, I guess, since your father was a horn player, um, this is a little different wind quintet that most people are used to, and that there is no French horn instead it's a saxophone. So could you tell me a little bit about that decision and maybe how that makes it unique.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Acropolis, we we don't actually consider ourselves a wind quintet. We call ourselves a reed quintet. Um, quintet. And that's really because of the two different instruments in the ensemble. So you mentioned that there's no French horn, but there's also no flute either. So it's all reed players. So it's a B-flat clarinet, a bass clarinet, a oboe, a saxophone, and a bassoon. And so this instrumentation that we call the reed quintet was really only invented About 30, 35 years ago. And it started in the Netherlands, where all crazy things start, um, by (laughs) a group called Califax. Um, They're absolute mentors and a huge inspiration for us. When they were around, um, they formed the instrumentation. They started to play a lot of uh, arrangements and transcriptions and some newer music. But by the time we were in college at the University of Michigan and we stumbled across this instrumentation, there were really only one or two reed quintets in the entire world. So it was a very, very new concept. And in the grand scheme of classical music history, a lot really didn't exist for it. So when we started, we were in undergrad at the University of Michigan, and we started by playing some of their arrangements. We did arrange some traditional wind quintet music. So we played the Ligeti, where our bass clarinetist got a basset horn out and then played the horn part. And our, our saxophonist got a soprano sax out and played the flute part. So we tried to be a little, you know, uh, figure out our place in the world early on with that. But now the the Reed Quintet itself has just grown so much over the last 12 years, um, especially because of all the work that we've done to commission new music for it. I think to date, we've created over 70 new works for the reed quintet instrumentation and premiered over over 200 works easy for for it as well through all the student works that we create and work with uh, with young people all around the country. And so it's just grown and grown and grown. And it's really our hope that the instrumentation becomes, you know, really standard in in the classical music canon because. Once I think you hear it, you understand the, the difference and the power behind the sound of the ensemble. And I think that's also a big reason why we just put so much into it right out the gate. It was so special to us. The, the sound and the colors were so unique to us. And also the music that we could create was just intoxicating. So that's what kept pulling us back and making us go further down the rabbit hole of what the reed quintet could be, and that's really its origin story and where it started, and so it's becoming quite a, you know, a force in chamber music these days. We're we're very fortunate that when we go around and meet students at at colleges all around the country, they oftentimes have a a reed quintet that's there playing some of this music that we get to work with, and even on the competition circuit that we did uh, about a decade ago, there are now reed quintets that are competing in in all of these competitions, you know, alongside sax quartets and string quartets and things like that. So it's very cool to see the genre grow. And it's very cool to be at the forefront of that and helping it just gain traction and, um, you know, spread the fact that wind music can just be really, really powerful and fun and and unexpected and, you know, visionary, I think. So yeah, that's a a little bit about where where it started.
1: You know, it's so interesting to me because the wind quintet is a genre. I mean, I've played in a wind quintet as well, not a reed quintet, but a wind quintet. And I remember even back when I was playing with it, I thought that it was a bit treble heavy, like you've got flute, oboe and clarinet and clarinet kind of takes responsibility for those mid-range parts. And then you've got your horn and your bassoon. And although it has some really great kind of textures and blend, I wonder if the reed quintet is sort of taking this almost to a more interesting place from an orchestration standpoint. So what has composers' response been to writing for this genre versus a normal wind quintet?
0: Oh, yeah, they love it. I think it just is something that they can really sink their teeth into. And I think you hit the nail on the head with having the amount of instruments that could play all different roles within the ensemble. So you have two very bass-heavy instruments in the bassoon and the bass clarinet. And you have some more treble voices, you know, with the oboe and the clarinet as well. But all of the instruments in the Reed Quintet can pretty much do every single role that the other one can do. And so you can have an amazing, powerful bottom heavy groove, but all of the instruments can play very high and light and delicate and and magical. And so I think it's really a composer's playground to be able to mix with all of those colors and all of those possibilities. And oftentimes we find composers really pushing the limits of of what the ensemble can do and what we can do as players. I think I've grown so much as a clarinetist by working with the composers who are alive today that want to just see what they can get out of these instruments and through this combination. And so I I do think it's a real vehicle for for new music and for especially growing the chops of composers out there as well. It's something that I think pushes all of us.
1: And so if someone wants to start their own reed quintet, what's it kind of like sitting in the first time? I mean, with the wind quintet, I recall the French horn seems to always have trouble not overpowering the group. Is this a similar kind of issue with the saxophone player or are they able to kind of temper and blend with the rest of the ensemble? So what's that kind of like from on the ground?
0: Yeah, so the saxophonist definitely faces that same issue. They have (laughs) the absolute power in their corner that they could blow us all away at any moment. And our saxophonist, who also happens to be my husband, uh, likes to remind us of that pretty much all the time. Um, So it's one of the things that um, I personally think that being in the reed quintet teaches you just an immense amount of flexibility as a player. So not only does our saxophonist have to learn how to temper and blend with, with other wind players, but we as other wind players have to learn how to rise to the level of the saxophonist. And so that's been an amazing journey of all of us learning you know the strengths and weaknesses of the other instruments and how we can grow into those you know weaknesses and really just flourish from that but also how we can work on all of that together and play up everybody's strengths in in our first rehearsals yes the saxophonist was blowing us away but you know over over the last decade I think we can give him a run <laughs> for his money now
1: Well, you know, I'm opening the door in my mind to how interesting this arrangement of or this genre, I guess, would be for the educational realm, because so many times I've had to run, for example, uh, woodwind sectionals or like woodwind small ensembles. And there's so much music which you could do for like wind quintet, which you just can't because the horn player is off with the brass. So something like this would be really awesome, not only to get the, the bass clarinetists more involved, because their parts tend to be rather minimal in high school, but uh, also for the saxophonist to kind of be part of that sort of ensemble. It's really great. Is there any repertoire that's suitable for younger students to get exposed to this genre?
0: we do have some pieces that we sell on our website. We have a great Gershwin arrangement that we've had some high school students play as well. And it's a big dream of ours actually to, to make like a beginner level or introductory level to the Reed Quintet full of original commissions. So that's been something that we've had kind of in the can um, for the last year or so. And we're, we're working through that process. So hopefully, hopefully one day soon we'll be able to, you know, like that amazing book of woodwind quintets that you can, you can give out to your students when you're just starting. Um, we would love to have something like that for Reed Quintet so that, yes, we don't leave our lovely bass clarinet friends hanging out there in high school.
1: I love it. And so let's dive right into your website and kind of the marketing and the, the uh, just more about this ensemble as a whole. You guys do educational outreach, um, performing commissioning. So even on the website, you guys are listed as musicians and entrepreneurs. And I thought that was so great, especially given the huge success of this group. So what are some of the ways in which you are generating community interest and uh, even revenue? I noticed there's like a merch store on there and you're selling your sheet music and um, you're selling the the commissions that you've done, which, again, must be such an enticement for getting composers to work with you. So just tell me about the business side of it and what this is like day to day and, and where it's going.
0: I am so fortunate to be able to do Acropolis as my full-time living. Um, it's just an absolute dream and joy that I get to wake up and I get to be full-time in this ensemble and then run the business um, alongside with with my husband Matt, our saxophonist, and so really it it is a business at the end of the day we started off you know with with absolutely no intent of it being our full time lives our full time career it was just something that we loved to do in college and wanted to see how far we could take it artistically and slowly and surely it grew over the years and then slowly and surely we realized that we could you know really build something quite substantial to really help support the artistic career that we wanted to have and so we started off just as a simple LLC um, a few years into it and then we transitioned into becoming a nonprofit organization in 2015 and so now um, we actually you know split our our budget if you look at it is made up pretty much 50/50 of earned um, revenue and contributed um, wow. revenue so it's it's been a, a big growth for us but essentially uh, Acropolis, exists by making money through all of all of our performances all of our bookings but then also through a lot of wonderful support from both local and national granting organizations, from a wealth of wonderful individuals around the country that believe in our programming and all of the work that we do, and then also through all of these other things that you mentioned, like we sell a, a wealth of sheet music, we have some fun stuff that you can can buy on our store to support us, like a more bass clarinet mug, uh, kooky things like that, <laughs> and um, and and then a couple other programs that we've built over the years. We obviously really believe in what we're doing and we love to help students you know realize that they can have a successful performing career for themselves too so uh, last year we actually launched um, uh, an online week music business intensive that you can come to and basically figure out everything that goes into on the other side of of having a performing career as an artist and so all of these things all pieced together is what makes Acropolis Acropolis. And the other side of it too, is that we've always just had an incredibly deep connection with our community and with, with educating young people. Some of our first concerts that we did, we were actually going into schools in our community and performing there and teaching there. And here in Southeast Michigan, especially in Detroit, a lot of the music programs just don't have a lot of funding. They don't have a lot of support So, we have been in residence at three Detroit high schools for the past, I want to say five years, um, working with the students and also teaching the students how to compose music and so they get to write music for Acropolis that we perform and record and that's just some of the coolest work that we do That we're very grateful to get support for um and so that's how everything kind of gets pieced together and so my day-to-day looks like i'm wearing multiple different hats uh all the time so i have my my clarinet hat and and all of the practicing and the hard work and the artistry that that goes into it but then you know, I also put on, you know, my marketing hat and have to have to keep everything up online up to date. You know, I have a, a little bit of a geeky web developer background. So I, I make our website, I do our social media, all of our marketing and communications comes out of this office right here. And um, in addition to that, you know, it's it's really we, we take it very seriously as, as a business that thrives off of, you know, the work that we put into it. And we definitely see a clear path for people that want to have that kind of artistic performing success. We see that the work you can put into it directly results in what you're able to do and that the two go hand in hand, that the more you do, the more you'll be able to grow something that's sustainable. And so it's always been a goal for us to have an artistic career for a long period of time, And in order to do that, you have to have a really healthy balance between all of the work that goes on behind the scenes of performing. And so getting all of that in balance with your life and your goals and what is important to you is really how we thrive, I think, and, and how we really love helping others thrive in that way as well. So yeah, that's a bit about, you know, the behind the scenes of the business of it, but it's been several years now and, and we're we're pretty proud of, of the organization that we've built.
1: Well, I have to say your website is absolutely beautiful. It might actually be the best uh, artist or ensemble website I've ever seen. So if you're listening to this, go check it out. I'm serious. Wonderful pictures, really great design. Like it's really clean. Everything's on there. You've got a little online store. So it's just perfectly primed for the modern age. Is that like a WordPress thing or you built that from scratch or what's the situation with it?
0: It's a WordPress. Um, It's not a template. Um, It's something that I coded.
1: (laughs) Wow. So you're super multifaceted then. (laughs) We've talked about this many times in the show. Those listening for a while will know I always dive into these entrepreneurial and or, you know, portfolio career kind of conversations, right? But so how do you so successfully foster these other interests and your performing and all the kind of multi hats you wear? How do you foster these things and still stay true to the music at the same time? Because a lot of people, I think, they either are good at the music or they're good at the marketing. They can't make it seem to work together.
0: So one of the things that um, really helped me once all of this you know, started to happen on the business end, it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all of the things that you think you need to do, right? And, and why are you doing all these things? And like, I have to write a grant or I have to post on social media or I have to send emails out to my people. And it could really feel like it's detracting from your art or getting in the way of your time practicing or making yourself a better musician. And the thing that really clicked for us was once we started to focus actually a lot on the financials, believe it or not, once we started to really focus on our budget and how we could forecast our growth, that actually was the bridge that told us what could be possible artistically. And so I think if all of that work happens without a connection to what your budget is and, and how you might be able to grow, then it could feel like you're doing a lot of this work in a vacuum and you're not sure how it might relate to your artistic output. So I I think it's actually really interesting to know that I feel incredibly deeply connected to my clarinet when I'm working on our website or when I'm working on a grant that is taking way too long and I'm staying way up way too late (laughs) to get it in. And so I think that that connection happens actually makes you dive deeper into your artistic purpose and figure out, you know, why am I doing? What am I doing? What do I care about? And that really drives all of that work outside of being on the instrument and getting better on the instrument. And I've also found that I think I've made the most artistic strides, basically needing to work on that work on the outside of playing, you know, the fact that I make my living off of this means that I have a lot of skin in the game. So that means I have to be deeply connected to all of the work holistically, not just the work on the instrument. And so I think that that's the biggest thing that I would encourage people is to try and find that connective tissue and really understand the purpose between how you see all of these pieces connecting, because I can tell you um, just absolutely absolutely, for certain that all of this work that I do on the business side completely fuels all of my musical work, and I don't think that all of my musical work and all of the creativity that Acropolis produces uh, would not be possible without that kind of concerted effort to focus on those things. So I think the growth, everything goes hand in hand, and I, I definitely feel like if you you know feel like that that work is detracting from your musical work then I actually would look at your musical output and try and figure out, well, how can I make this more specific, more me, more about what I care about and more reflective of my world, my values. And once that is figured out, then you almost will do anything underneath that to, to grow that artistry, to grow that message. And so that's what we learned um, several years into it. And and I think that's why it just like keeps, keeps growing, keeps spitting out so many new things almost constantly.
1: No, I love that. And I think that you guys are clearly very resilient and uh, innovative and uh, inspiring in the sense that like you're able to see it that way. I think so many people see that kind of work as kind of, well, it's not music. And what if I had practice five more minutes instead of, you know, working on the website? And you know, I guess what you're saying in a way is that there's value to all parts of a career, not just the playing. And uh, I think any person realizes that if they just sit in their practice room and play all day, that's never going to lead to anything. You have to find an outlet for what you're doing. And uh, most people will have to manage many parts of it themselves, <laughs> you know, and sort of find that. So as far as those who are interested in doing this, you guys offer a sort of a mentorship through your mastermind. Is that like sort of a pre-recorded series or is it a one-on-one coaching or how does that work?
0: Yeah, so it is not pre recorded. It's totally live. Um, We actually envisioned it to be online pre pandemic. So it was always designed to be this one week, very intense online music business uh, seminar and it's with us and five um, incredible mentors to us. Um, So people that have just been a tremendous help to us in growing our artistry and, and our business. And so it's us, these five guests. Last year, we had 10 wonderful ensembles. And so it's it's this one big week. We run the gambit of topics. We go very deep on on your career. We all work together in figuring out how we can make everybody stronger, make everybody more sustainable and make everybody, you know, really build something that could make sure that they have um, you know, their art in their life for the long haul. And so we're doing that again um, this summer at the end of July.
1: Amazing. So check out the website to learn more about that. I'm going to be doing that as well myself, actually. I think that'd be really kind of a fun thing. You know, I was reading a book a while ago and they talked about if you're a musician or an artist or whatever, you should really dedicate a portion of your annual earnings. I know it's been minimal for a lot of people this year. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt if you're in that position, right? And you want to, you know, be mindful of your expenses. But this is the time for R and D as well though. That's what he calls it. R and D is like making sure that your research and development into your own career. Is, is pushing you forward um, no company out there anywhere is doing their products um, without this research and development for the future you know they're always planning their next product and I think that as artists we need to see that as well in, in order not to stagnate so these kind of uh, masterminds and sessions and things do try to attend them if you can is there any kind of funding available for for people who might be having some kind of trouble right now to attend this workshop or what does the, the cost look like?
0: We don't have anything at the moment, but we are working with um, some universities around the country to try and get some sponsorships available for students. So um, if you're at a college, uh, we will hammer your professors for (laughs) information to try and make it so that you don't have to pay to attend. And um, it's uh, 500 for an individual, and it goes up from there based on the size of the ensemble. And the most any group will pay is $1,000. Oh,
1: awesome. So you could attend this with your own Read Quintet. This is so interesting that you'd planned this already before the whole COVID situation. And uh, I wanted to ask quickly, how have you guys been impacted by this? And in what way have you managed to sort of innovate? Because I noticed that you've got all sorts of online activities. And so maybe we could go into that a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I will just connect this to the R&D point that you made before. I think that the pandemic was the perfect thing to put the brakes on Acropolis for a minute and have us recenter and refocus and figure out what was truly important to us and where we think we should have the most impact moving forward. Um, We were, you know, the previous two years prior to 2020, we were touring extensively. It seemed like we were, on the road all the time, giving amazing concerts, which was really wonderful. But at the same time, you run the risk of going on autopilot with your career, the the more you get into a groove of things. And so I think it's really healthy to um, have change happen, you know, whether you planned it or not, I think change coming at you or constraints coming at you um, is a real blessing in disguise. And so I, I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, we were on tour, actually. And we, you know, gave our final concert actually in a room with uh, cameras. It looks quite similar now to how concerts are actually happening. But at that time, it was very foreign. It was very strange. And so we had cameras and masks and there was no audience. And we pre-recorded our final concert while we were on tour. And so then we came home and um, everything for this foreseeable future was canceled. We had just done um, a massive concerto premiere for reed quintet and wind band that we were starting to tour and um, that was something that we were really looking forward to and we had a big two-week uh, residency planned for us and a dance company to do this amazing like full 60 90 minute length show together and that was put on hold and so you know we came to this point where you know the rug is taken out from under you and you really have to think about, okay, what is most important to me and what what do we want to say right now? And that was actually a very good thing to re-energize us and refocus us. And we immediately started to do online events. Um, it, it, it seemed like it happened almost instantaneously. We did um, a six-show uh, premiere of a massive piece that's actually on our fourth album, Homage to Paradise Valley. We did a big soiree run of online premieres of that piece with with a local poet and the composer was there, Jeff Scott. And all of us were there and we had this limited audience that attended, but we sold out those shows and it gave us a, a proof of concept moving forwards. And then beyond that, we really started to think about what projects and what could we do this year that would move the needle forward the most for us and be the most fulfilling, but also just make the most sense with where we are in the world right now. So this year, we've transitioned into doing a, a lot more recording projects that we've, you know, really put on the back burner, to be honest, for the past couple years. So we, we have our fourth CD coming out. Um, on uh, April 9th. And that's incredibly exciting for us. And I don't know if it would have come out as soon as it did, if, if not for the pandemic. And also we started actually recording our fifth album <laughs> as well um, during, during the pandemic too. And so a, a lot of these projects and collaborations um, just really rose to the surface for us. How could we collaborate with other artists that we might not have before? And um, how could we make meaningful art that, that was new and reflected the times that we were in and the people that we were around as well. And so that was a good shift for us and to just kind of recenter ourselves and refocus ourselves. And I think that all of those constraints that were placed around us and around everyone, you know, this whole past year, I I think we've tried to see as many of them as opportunities as possible. And I think that's what's kept us motivated, kept us going, kept us innovating and, and coming up with new ideas that really feel core to who we are versus like reacting to the world and what we see everybody else doing. So that's that's really, I think, how we've been able to do so much over this past year and, and have it all be really meaningful. I don't think we've had such a productive year um, in a really long time, if I'm being honest. It's, it's been a very good year for us.
1: That's amazing. And you know, I definitely could have used some of that uh, positive outlook earlier on, I have to admit, I had a much more bleak, dark perspective, and I'm still kind of (laughs) climbing out of that here. But uh, so let's talk about your project. And I think this is one of the if we can say exciting things about looking forward to a post pandemic world. Is all the amazing art and books and things that I really hope have been written by more motivated people than me. So, I mean, for me, just keeping my weight under control has been kind of a its own project. As the we've had we've everything closed and it's been winter, and
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that has been so so difficult for everybody. And I think over this past year, we've all just completely been you know slapped in the face with how like working on ourselves and our mental and our physical health is like so important. And, and I can say that before this past year, I personally hadn't focused on it that much, uh, but now focusing on it has just made a tremendous amount of difference in my own like mental health and being, and, and my productivity. And so, yeah, I, I can't echo that enough that if you're, if you're feeling like you're in a, in a little rut and you need to get out, get out of it, uh, break it, break a hard sweat for 20 minutes and, and then come back to it. <laughs>
1: Well, before we dive into your CD project then, which is one of, of course, the really interesting things coming out during this, or I guess as it starts to wrap up, hopefully, would you share some of the stuff that you, you do do to focus on your mental and physical health? Because, I mean, you seem to be in a very good mindset with lots of productivity, so I feel we could all <laughs> glean from this.
0: Oh, yes, sure. Um, well, the first thing is anytime. Um, I am feeling unmotivated or you know just completely like i I don't want to do what I'm supposed to be doing today. my to-do list is is way too long. I put all that aside and I move my body. Um, hmm. i I move my body in some way and not like a, a nice gentle walk around the block. I don't do that I, I hardcore move my body I make sure that I, sweat it out and um, whatever that means for you in, in whatever fashion. And so that has been the best medicine that I think I could hope for over the past year, for sure. If I'm just feeling in a little bit of a funk, I just try and I get up and move, <laughs> go for a run, do do any type of, of weights or whatever it is. And uh, even like dance it out. Um, yeah. Just, just get, get moving. And that just triggers. I feel like so much, body positivity affects mental positivity. And so if, if your body's happy, your mind's happy because your mind is in your body. And so (laughs) I think all of that is just so connected and I know we think about it and really want to do it. And so I think the hardest part is actually doing those things. Right. And so my biggest like motivation hack and, I used to use this for practicing all the time for maybe when I didn't want to practice, I wasn't feeling it was late at night. I was tired, you know, whatever it was. Um, I, I feel tired and I don't want to move my body. Um, The biggest motivation hack I can tell people is just put yourself, In the place where the work needs to happen. Uh, So, whatever that means for you, getting over that hurdle and just put yourself in the location of, of where that work needs to be done. You know, if that means like putting on your running shoes and just getting outside your house pretty much the next step that will happen is you'll probably go for a run. Or if it's just like getting your clarinet together and sitting down in in your chair in your office and in front of your music, you know, pretty much the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to practice. So that's one of my biggest tactics is just put yourself in the place where the work needs to happen. um, And then odds are you're going to do something uh, way more productive than you thought in that moment. That's been very, very huge for me.
1: It reminds me of a book. I can't remember which book it was. Maybe it was uh, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, but he talked a bit about or someone talked about how before you start start thinking that you're like a tortured artist or that you just can't get out of some rut, like just do a checklist, like have your basic needs been met? Did you sleep enough? Are you thirsty? (laughs) You know, should you call your, you know, family member and chat for a bit? Are you lonely? Like just are your basic human needs met? And if not, you know, work to rectify those and then come back to it, you know? And uh, if they have been, just start. Just try and do five minutes. Because once you've done five minutes, 15 is easy. 20 is even easier. And then 30 will just happen. And before you know it, an hour has passed. But you have to give yourself permission to stop after the five minutes if you do feel like that's all you can accomplish for that day. And feel good about it, because at least you started, right? Um, but you will find that, that you can get going you know, once you simply start. And that starting is just the hardest part. Opening the clarinet case and putting the clarinet together is strangely enough harder than putting in an hour of practice. I find. <laughs>
0: yeah, and at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was, you know, struggling with all of this and trying to find my motivation and and figuring this out, I would actually make a list of things that I did do that day, and I find that hugely helpful as well. Just like oh, and then I look at it at the end of the day and I was like, oh man, I did so much, you know? And I thought I got nothing accomplished today. I thought I had no motivation, but, you know, I did the laundry. I made all this food. I went grocery shopping. I did play my clarinet for a little bit of time, you know? Like, and then you look at it at the end of the day and you can be like, wow, I think I actually was more productive than I gave myself credit for. So I think like checking in with that recognition post, you know, is is really important, too, because I am the kind of person that makes to do lists, you know, longer, <laughs> longer than I care to admit, and they don't all get done. And I think it's very important to recognize, you know, that you will not accomplish everything that you want to um, in a given day. And like, that is OK. That is a very healthy thing.
1: You know, the app I've been using to track this is called Streaks, and it lets you program in activities that you want to accomplish in the week. Or the day or whatever. So you can set, for example, I have 12 tasks. You can't go beyond 12 because I think they recognize that's kind of a limit. I have 12 tasks that I try to complete five times a week each. And I like it because I don't have to do every task every day, but it sort of gamifies it. And it's like a to-do list that, that you can see and it tracks your history. And it's actually really interesting. Like I've been practicing way more and, and doing way more with uh, you know exercise and I've, I've tried meditation and stuff. And it's been but it lets you track your sort of progress in in that regard. And so if anyone's looking for something to kind of help with this, that's not a pad and paper, you can try that. But I also use a pad and paper. <laughs> I'm also very to-do listy, if that's a word. So, <laughs> Well, let's dive into your CD project. I really love the fact that this is, again, mostly commissioned works. And uh, not just the works, but everything right down to the artwork, which is by... A really fantastic artist. So could you tell me a bit about the pieces that are on there, the project, and uh, even the art?
0: Yes, absolutely. So um, this is Acropolis's fourth CD. Uh, it's called Ghost Light. It's coming out um, on April 9th on New Focus Recordings, and it is uh, entirely of original Reed Quintet music that we've commissioned. Um, All of the CDs that we've released actually are of original Reed Quintet music, so all new music that's very, very energetic um, and exciting. And so the pieces on the album all have to do with these ghosts that are around us in a sense of coming to terms with one's own mortality, with life and death and rebirth. And so the the pieces go through this story. And I think if you go on online and check out the art, we tried to um, encapsulate the entire picture of what this album is through this artwork. And so the art was created by um, an amazing artist in the UK. And if you go on, you can see that it's this quite ghostly landscape. Um, His name is Ashton Springer. And in the landscape, you'll see ancient Egyptian pyramids, you'll see these massive ghostly figures, you'll see some organic material, you'll see a lake of fire, and you'll see some buildings submerged in the sand. And so all of this world that we've created with Ghostlight um, is all of these pieces coming together in this one ghostly landscape. And so the first uh, piece on the album is by uh, Stacey Garup. She's a Chicago-based composer. She wrote this amazing work called Rights for the Afterlife that actually talks about the ancient Egyptian practices of the burial rites for the afterlife. So how did they prepare um, people to actually be buried? And what was the soul's journey after it left the body and went to the, the afterworld? And so the piece transitions between um, all these spells and incantations that are on the tomb walls. It takes you through the actual netherworld itself. Uh, the soul is actually judged by some of the gods that are present. And then um, it ends up in the field of reeds, which is actually what the ancient Egyptians thought of as heaven. And so that's, that's how the album starts. And then after that, there's a beautiful piece um, by Michael Gilbertson, um, who was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and he uh, wrote a piece called Kinds of Light that is really stunning. It, it's four movement works. The movements are, are pretty short and to the point, but but they're just beautiful. And we have a couple teaser vid- videos up right now of his music. And then there's music by Niloufar um, Norbash, and she wrote a piece called Firing Squad, which is inspired by uh, the opening line of 100 years of solitude, um, which is where the character is faced with a firing squad and his life flashes before his eyes. After that, we have a piece by Theo Chandler, which is basically the life cycle of organic material. And the final piece on the album is by far the biggest work on the album, and it's by Jeff Scott. Um, who's the French hornist in the Imani wind, who are also just massive inspirations of ours. And um, we got a Chamber Music America classical commissioning grant for this piece. And essentially, we invited Jeff out to our, our home of Detroit, Michigan, and we were, you know, taking him around the town and, and showing him around. And we ended up at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History. And we took him there and we were looking around and he discovered this amazing history of Detroit that talks about these neighborhoods that were actually raised. So they were demolished for urban renewal. And so the neighborhoods don't exist anymore. And he wanted to basically pay tribute to this beautiful story of, of these places and these people. And so his piece was written and then over the summer we had a wonderful local Detroit poet, um, author, and historian named Marsha Music write companion poetry to go along with Jeff's composition. So you get to hear the story of all of these places, and then you get to hear Jeff's music as well. Um, So the whole CD is... has been just, uh, I, I want to say, two or three years in the making. And wow. it's exciting that it's finally out, <laughs> going to be out in the world. The whole process of recording all of these things is, you know, very, very tedious and takes a long time. And we had an amazing group of people that helped put it all together and helped make it happen. And so it's out on April 9th. We um, also have a free live stream concert that we're doing on the 9th. So you can come and see us play some of the music and all of the five composers from the album and the artist who drew all of the artwork for the album as well. Um, that's at 4 p.m. on the 9th, where we're all going to be hanging out online together.
1: Awesome. And can people register for that on the website then?
0: They can right at our website, acropolisquintet.org backslash ghost I
1: should have written this down, but is that a Saturday? What, what day of the week is that?
0: I think it's a Friday. A Friday,
1: okay. Yeah, so it's Friday. Uh, <laughs> something people can kind of do as a COVID weekend plan here, I suppose. If you want to go I out but stay so. in. <laughs> the, well, I love it, and I love all the things you you are doing with the Acropolis Quintet. I think that everything from the the outreach to the the recordings to the performances—I mean, clearly a lot on your plate—but it's all being very well done by clearly capable group of people. So uh, thank you so much for sharing the story about all this with the clarity listeners. And before we wrap up, do you have any more sort of things to add about what you've been doing that you'd like to share on the show?
0: Oh, well, I just want to say thanks for having me. Um, I definitely want to just echo how fantastic I think your, your podcast is and everybody that you have on has such a wonderful story and a wonderful perspective. So I'm very happy that I was able to share mine and I just, would love people to check out some more awesome chamber music out there. It's so cool, and I love experiencing it. So any chamber music fans out there are, are, are friends of mine. So so come find me online, and we can we can chat. Thank
1: okay, you. I appreciate that. And you know, I meant to ask: Will the CD be available on streaming platforms as well for people to check out?
0: It will on all streaming platforms and physical if you're old school.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so check that out. It's called Ghost Light when it appears on streaming platforms starting April, probably 9th, I guess. And uh, also don't miss the live concert, which is also on April 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern. And you can register for that online. So thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on the show today. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or amazon now it's available there the show will end here but patreon supporters are going to get access to a couple extra special questions at the end so carrie thank you so much for joining me and i'll see you in the lightning round
0: all right sounds good
1: Thank you for joining me today on the Clarinet Podcast. If you find you enjoyed the show, please share it with any of your clarinet friends who might be interested in it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This can now include Amazon Podcasts, which is new, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, and if you know of any other places you've found it online, maybe let me know. I think it's on all the major platforms. So wherever you're listening, a review sure does help new people discover the show, and uh, I do love hearing from people all over the world. Speaking of hearing from people, you can send me an email directly on the website using the Contact form at clarinet.com, or there's now a voicemail feature. So if you want to send anything in and just say hi, I'd love to hear from you. And I do respond to every message, although right now it might take me a few days because I'm just super busy with uh, all kinds of different emails coming in and lots of episodes in the can, so to speak, that I'm working on, including one, and this came from a listener request, by the way, with Doreen Ketchens. I was able to be put in touch with her. I just talked to her. Wonderful conversation. This is going to be really great. But this conversation only is possible because someone wrote in to me and decided to you know get in touch and, and make the connection. So thank you so much to uh, all those who've listened over the years. This is now, I think the sixth year, maybe the fifth year of the podcast, depending on where you start counting. I know I started it in December 2015, so uh, I guess this is kind of year six in a way. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of great guests over the years, but there's still lots of clarinetists out there to talk to. So maybe even you, if you have a request, please do not hesitate to contact me using the form or the voicemail at clarinet.com. I wanna thank all those who support the show on Patreon at clarinet.com slash subscribe, especially our gold backers, which support at more than $10 a month. So we have Andrew M, April J, David S, Debbie A, Glenn K. I always think this kind of sounds like a poem. It's sort of interesting. (laughs) Jason S, Josh N, Karen K, Miguel D, Todd M, and William L. Thank you so much for making the show possible every week. Thank you, of course, also to our sponsors. In Canada here, we've had weather that's all over the place lately. It's actually been blizzarding one day and then record highs the next and then back to blizzarding. So if you are a clarinet player, you probably find springtime to be a really tough time for your reads, but not if you play Legere like I do. I've really enjoyed over the past year's I've actually been playing Legere long, long time, since back in the early thousands, but um, the consistency with the weather is just amazing. So if you want to spend less time fussing with your reeds and more time playing your clarinet, you might want to give them a try. And the reeds now come with a really fancy uh, recyclable case, which you'll be hearing about on an upcoming episode of the show. Um, You can actually buy Legere reeds on the Bakun Musical website now, and your clarinet coupon, which I mentioned at the beginning of the episode is valid on these products. So you can save 10% with code Clarinet at bakunemusical.com. You may want to try matching your reed with the Bakun Vocalese mouthpiece. There's four, actually there's five facings available now from closed all the way to very open for jazz players. And there's even one in the uh, sort of a synthetic crystal material. I've gravitated towards the R model, although I do love the look of the, the CG crystal it's called, the CG Vocalese, I guess. Um, but all of these were actually designed to work very well with the Legere Reeds. So if you're looking at trying them out, you might want to try a mouthpiece with it so you can check that out at bacoonmusical.com. don't forget that code is valid on everything at the online store including custom clarinets so if you're in the market for a new instrument that is a great savings you're going to want to take advantage of for sure thank you so much for listening to the podcast today i'm your host sean perrin signing off from calgary alberta canada i look forward to seeing you next time on the clarinet podcast the show for clarinetists